Patrick Laine has resigned in Columbus. John Klingberg is off the market. But who freaking cares about everything else? Because we have a mammoth, absolute mammoth blockbuster trade to break down. A trade that could have Eric Lindros-like repercussions for 20-plus years. It depends on how it shakes up. It's a big gamble for both the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers. And it gets dissected in episode 330 of the Lace Up Podcast, which starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Um, for before we um, get underway, full disclaimer: we are aware of um, the hockey Canada stuff. It is a big uh, development in hockey circles. We will dissect that further as more information becomes available. It's a free-flowing investigation. A lot of new material is coming out every single day. It seems like. Um, there's an indiv- uh, there's an investigation being done by the NHL separate from the investigation into Hockey Canada. Um, just a lot of layers, and it'll probably be dissected into one big podcast episode. So we'll save that for a later time. Yep. Um, but uh, just just putting out that out there, we're not turning a blind eye. We're just waiting until more information comes out before we react to it. Uh, we have plenty of information in the meantime, Brett, to, to react to this. Yeah. A blockbuster trade between the Calgary Flames and Florida Panthers. Matthew Kachuk going to Florida, but I didn't think the return would be this big. Right, yeah. It was it was kind of uh, a little bit of a shock when it happened because there were rumors that, well, I, I think we talked about it on the last show. By the way, we we missed uh, like two weeks, so that's why we're... Yeah, we're catching it's, up it's on this summer time, folks. We, it does, uh, we, yeah. I, I think uh, after years of nonstop hockey coverage, yeah. um, a, a week off. Uh, well, you know, well, it's interesting because we, we, we've been doing it for one. Because I, I think the World Juniors is coming up uh, pretty soon. Yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, you have that. So it's like it's unlike a normal summer because we're about to get some more hockey um, uh, next month. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it was. It was uh, kind of crazy because it was just, yeah, there was like a, a couple of days before. I forget if we even mentioned it on the last time we had a show. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was rumor reports that Matthew Kachuk is going and he wants out. Um, and, uh, and then there were some reports of like Florida, Dallas, you might go to St. Louis I think Nashville was on there, Vegas. I think there was one other team that I'm missing, probably. But um, it was unclear about if, like... And then, like, the next day, it was, like, reported that, like, oh, those aren't actually the teams. But then um, (laughs) the following day, Matthew Kachuk goes to Florida in this trade uh, for... um, So a fourth-round pick, 2025... From uh, Calgary goes to Florida as well, um, and then I'll get to the conditions in a second. Um, and then uh, Calgary gets Jonathan Huberto, yes, that Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, that Mackenzie Weger, Cole Schwint, and a 2025 first round pick um, that's conditional, and it's that condition is lottery protected. The fourth round pick that's conditional 
Um, the, that condition is if the 2025 first-round pick that Florida sent to Calgary is a lottery pick, resulting in Calgary receiving the 26th first-round pick from Florida, then the 25 fourth-round pick that Calgary sent to Florida also slides to 2026. So I guess it's like if, um, if Florida ends up not making the playoffs um, in 2025 that season, then it, it turns. Um, then I guess it goes to the next year. Um, so I guess it's contingent on that, uh, which is which is kind of interesting. But who knows? I think it's funny though, because like it's funny that it's like 2025 because they've already given away their 2023 pick, first round pick and their 2024 pick already. So um, so yeah, it is kind of funny that they're like. They, they won't have a first-round pick for a long time. I don't think they had a first-round pick this year either, so I mean, I guess that makes a ton of sense, too, just because you know, their window is now, and they're clearly going for it for the next couple of years. But, yeah, assuming uh, that uh, pick, uh, lottery-protected pick in 2025 doesn't yeah. slide, they won't have a first until 2026. Right, right, right. Um, so, so it is um, interesting. Hold on. Um, I excuse me for that chat here um i just got chatted um another message for me anyways um there uh what's what's interesting is is that jonathan huberto is going the other way um and um and also like uh uh i'm just gonna pull up their stats pretty quickly but mackenzie weger he had a a pretty good season as well um Jonathan Huberto had 115 points, um, 30, 30 goals, and 85 assists. He's pretty much been one of the most consistent Florida Panthers players um, in in his career. He's played for he played for Florida for 10 years. Um, he I think we even mentioned this last um, time um, when we were thinking of like who are the free agents next year, and it was Jonathan Huberto. We all had assumed that Huberto, or I had at least had assumed that um, Huberto was probably going to be signed, um, and, and they were just going to figure something out um, because it just would be weird if you know Huberto wasn't a Florida Panther and he's like a big part of their core. Um, but uh, but then when you look at their their cap space and you forget the fact that we'll we'll get into Matthew Kachuk's contract in a second. But you have the fact that you have Alex Barkov, who's making $10 million for, like, the next five years or so. Um, and then you have Aaron Ekblad, who's making $7.5 million for three years. You have Bobrovsky um, making $10 million for four more years. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I guess they could have made room if they didn't sign Matthew, if they didn't make this trade. But what was interesting is is that according to Alan Walsh and a few other sources as well, that um, Huberto, like that Zito and um, Alan Walsh is uh, Huberto's agent. Um, they um, Zito said that yeah they were going to work something out with uh, Huberto, but like this was during the draft, and then he said like yeah we'll work something out after the draft. Um, and, you know, they just want to see how it's going and things like that. Um, and then they didn't end up um, signing it. And then there was these reports that Matthew Kachuk wants out of Calgary. 
Um, and what was crazy to me was that like Zito not only just didn't offer Huberto anything, um, but he just flat out traded him and Mackenzie Weger uh, to to Calgary without even like acknowledging it. Like this guy has been a part of the Florida Panthers for a decade. And um, not only that, but he's been like like really really good. Uh, like f- he went in fifth in a Hart Trophy winning. Uh, you know, you fifth in a Hart Trophy um, votes last year. Uh, Thirteen. Uh, he was thirteenth in Hart Trophy um, votes last uh, two years ago too. Um, and it's just like it, it, you know, this guy is a really really good player. He makes the team that much better um you know sam bennett was nothing basically before he came on to florida and then once he was on huberto's line for instance like sam bennett's a completely different player um and yeah i get it matthew kachuk is also pretty good too of course and he's a lot younger he he had um 104 points in 82 games but I don't know. I, I just feel like that was such a disrespectful thing to do um, for for Bill Zito to not even like like try to work out a contract. It's like, yeah, I get it that you know your core is young already, and and uh, Huberto is um, let's see here, he's uh, uh, f- uh, five years young, older than than Kinchuk is, um, and Kinchuk brings like this gritty power forward type type nature to it that Jonathan Huberto doesn't provide, but at the same time, like, you're not going to find another Huberto in the NHL, and Matthew Kachuk is not that, and, um, yeah, Kachuk had a great year, but I don't know if he's going to reach 100 points ever again. Um, I know he's young, and I'm probably going to eat my words, but, like, it wouldn't shock me. Um, so, um... And I, and I like the player, it's just, I, I, I feel like Jonathan Huberto was that much, like, it, it's just strange to, like, if, if it was one for one, I could understand it, but then you trade Mackenzie Weger, then you also trade, you have your first round pick from 25, it's like, you know, it, it feels like it should be an even deal, but it's, it's not, because the Flames ended up getting a lot more to it, um, but, but yeah, at the same time, it's like it, the Florida Panthers have a good core going. Uh, Barkov, Kachuk, Reinhardt, Ekblad, Sam Bennett, Duclair, who's still pretty young, Anton Lindell, um, you know, and all those guys are in their 20s. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I totally get why they made that trade, and it's like a younger core, but at the same time, I feel like Jonathan Huberdeau is like, a, like a like a much better player than Matthew Kachuk, or more proven at least. Yeah, so let's take a look at it from the Florida perspective. Um, what kind of bothers me about the way Jonathan Huberto and the Florida Panthers parted ways wasn't the fact that Huberto was kind of treated like crap on the way out, yeah. or definitely not given the send off he was deserved. It was the fact that he was such a good player for a very irrelevant Florida Panthers team. The moment he got drafted, how many times were the Florida Panthers picking in the top three in those early to mid-2010s? It felt like Florida was there every single year. Erica Branson was a top three pick. Yep. Um, 
Alex Burkov, top three pick. Jonathan Huberto, top three pick. They were consistently one of the league's worst teams, and the attendance backed that up. Yeah. Certainly. And over the past four seasons, Jonathan Huberto has been an assist machine for the Florida Panthers, one of the best playmakers, and is going to be paid like one of the best playmakers, regardless of what team he's on next year, uh, heading into July 1st or whenever free agency opens. At the same time, I think they were trying to look for a different image. And when you look at, again, we've, we've reflected on how their season ended after a very promising regular season. They were dispatched in the second round, swept, in fact, by Tampa Bay. And it felt like Tampa, for the most part, was in control throughout the series. Florida's power play only scored once, and that was a power play goal from Sam Reinhardt, if I remember correct, in game three of that series. And it was already too little too late. And I think that was actually the final goal that they scored, because I think they only got one goal in game three and then got shut out by Vasilevsky as is accustomed to every team that gets eliminated by Tampa Bay practically. You get shit on the finale, that's how it goes. Deal with it. Irregardless, it wasn't a good way to go out. And throughout the playoffs, I say this because I had Jonathan Huberto on my fantasy team, and he was relatively quiet. Same with Alexander Barkov. And you see guys like Hardiver Heggie stepping up to the plate. The depth guys are doing their thing. But the main drivers of that offense, Huberto and Barkov, aren't probably doing enough to help the team win, offensively speaking. And it didn't feel like Jonathan Huberto was a factor in the playoffs. You look at a guy like Matthew Kachuk. He is a tone set. He pisses people off. He has great skill set. Like you said, Brad, he's 24 years old, five years younger than Huberto. That plays in. He likes what the Florida Panthers have done. He wants to be a part of what they're doing moving forward. That's great to see, especially after all of the stuff that Florida has gone through over the past decade, seen as this laughing stock, this commodity that no one wants to be a part of. They're a good team now, and a lot of people are buying into their vision, and they want to win in Florida. The other thing that impresses me about Matthew Kachuk is his ability to drag people into the fight particularly when it comes to rivalries. Sure, the Edmonton Oilers trade Zach Cassie into Arizona, but that rivalry between Edmonton and Calgary is always going to have a spark plug so long as Matthew Kachuk is there. That spark plug has now gone to a one-sided battle of Florida, and the team that's getting one-sided is Florida. Tampa Bay is the clear-cut winner. They have Corey Perry. They have Patrick Maroon. They have the talent to match Florida's talent. They can do whatever the heck they want, and when it comes... When push comes to shove, they have the Florida Panthers number. Yeah. And I think Bill Zito is trying to change that with the addition of Matthew Kachuk. And this this rivalry could go into next-level territory, I think, with the addition of Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Because of the rare blend of skill and toughness that he provides. He, and he's just a pest. But how are they going to replicate that playmaking ability? That's another good question. The other thing to note is um, they're losing a valuable top four defenseman in Mackenzie Weger, um, a guy that if you ask most people, if it wasn't for the Bobrovsky contract, they'd probably keep around. If it wasn't for the salary cap, yeah. they'd probably keep around. 
but everyone knew that they had to make up salary cap space somehow. But I, I, I feel like when you look at the assets they gave up for the likes of Claude Drew, for the likes of Ben Sherratt, those two in particular, and now Matthew Kachuk, and sure, they gave up some assets to get Sam Reinhardt as well and uh, some previous assets, and it's accumulated over time. But in particular, the past five months, they've given up a handful of first-round picks. They've given up two prospects. They've given up some good roster players that they probably could use moving forward. And for what? Like, we don't know how this is going to end, really. Matthew Kachuk could be... You know, a 30, 35, 40 goal scorer consistently, 70, 80, 90 point producer consistently. And he could be everything that the Florida Panthers are looking for. But when you look at the Eric Lindros trade tree, and the Flyers got a lot of good out of Eric Lindros, they never won a Stanley Cup. They got close yeah. a couple times, but they never won a Stanley Cup. Meantime, the return that they gave in order to get Eric Lindros helped the other team turn into a freaking dynasty. True. And for all we know, this could have the same impact on the Calgary Flames. Because even if Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger both decide not to sign long-term, and so far it sounds like they are willing to stay, but even if they don't, you could turn that into assets that want to be in Calgary, that want to help this team win, and maybe they do help this team yeah. win, and they still become the better team out of this deal. So I, I just feel like the price was too steep for a guy, even though he hasn't at his prime yet. That's a lot to give up for Matthew Kachuk. And it, it should also be noted that he's got a million dollar in base salary in each of those eight years. So the rest is all bonus money. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how many of these sun trade scenarios that we could see because this this was a rare transaction as we said yeah it was the first ever sign and trade literally uh where like the calgary flames sign him and then he gets traded promptly after where usually a sign and trade is like the op the reverse so that was it was interesting Mm -hmm. from that standpoint but um yeah i I, I think it's um and from your Mackenzie Weger point, um, I will say that like that could be explained away just because Aaron Eckblad was injured for a little bit and that's why Mackenzie Weger was able to get a lot more numbers up because of the fact that like Eckblad was out for like half the season. Um, so perhaps that was a big reasoning there. Um yeah, it's uh, and then yeah, we'll talk about uh, f- uh, the flames side of this in a bit. But um, just lastly, I wanted to mention that because you you mentioned the whole like rivalry aspect of it. Uh, Matthew Kachuk said that he hates, um, he still hates Edmonton, but he hates uh, Tampa more now, uh, which I guess is kind of the the kind of quintessential like aspect of what Matthew Kachuk brings to the table is just like he understands that like okay I'm here to bring like a bit more fire and a bit more passion um in his game um and yeah and he can provide that grid and stuff like that so um as a as a person who as a fan of a team that's in the Atlantic Division I do not look forward to watching the Kachuks play 
uh, the Kachuk brothers play <laughs> for two of those teams in the Atlantic Division. But yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be funny if uh, it'll, it'll be fun to watch uh, Matthew and Brady uh, chuck it out for at least the for um, the next eight years. Um, yeah, and, and I, I guess it is a reasonable contract as well. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, we'll we'll see how that goes. All right. In terms of Calgary, as you mentioned, uh, they did me- they did get Mackenzie Weger. He had forty four points in eighty games. As I mentioned, though, with like Ekblad um, being out, I think that's a lot of that has to do with that. Um, he's not really. He's more known as like a like a shutdown defensive defenseman guy. Um, but I guess he can provide the offense if he needs to. Um, which is interesting because, like, you know, when you look at their their defensive side of things, uh, they do have Noah Hannafin, who had a breakout year with 48 points in 81 games. Rasmus Anderson had 50 points in 82 games. Um, they also have Chillington, who had a decent year as well, with 31 points um, in 73 games. So, yeah, they're, like, they, they are doing pretty well. I think the thing, though, is that the Flames don't have Johnny Gaudreau, they don't have Kachuk, which are going to be huge losses, but yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Huberdeau is definitely, um, like, you know, a good replacement for it, or at least, like, from Flames fans' perspectives, like, okay, yeah, we lost our, like, the face of the franchise and Gaudreau and Kachuk, but hey, we're, we're getting Jonathan Huberdeau, and like you mentioned, it's like, he hasn't signed yet, and it seems like he's going to test free agency, so, so you could just pull it off where, like, you like, let's say the worst case scenario where the Flames are like one of the worst teams um, in the league, which I don't think is going to happen by the trade deadline. They can just trade Jonathan Huberto because he's not going to sign there um, and and get something for him, um, where which is something that you couldn't get for Johnny Gaudreau, um, and you did get something for uh, Matthew Kachuk. So. Um, from from that perspective, I think it's like you know comparing that to the Gaudreau factor. It's like okay, at least they they did something, and and all of a sudden you're you're doing well. Um, yeah, it's just like I'm looking at their line depth right now. Uh, you have Huberdo as the uh, you have Huberdo, Elias Lindholm, and Tyler Toffoli as the first line. You have Mangiapane, Backlund, and Coleman. As the second line, Lucic, Rooney, and Dubé as the third line, um, and then three guys I haven't even heard of, heard of as a fourth line, so I won't even mention them. But um, but yeah, I, I think this is more. You know, I'm not sure if they'll make the playoffs, but I I, I do think this trade definitely helps them just because like Jonathan Huberdeau is that good, um, and uh, yeah, he can he can help your team become that much better. Um, in the long run, um, and, and you know, you never know with the Pacific Division because it's like um, it's it's kind of a weak division. Um, so it's like they could make they could sweep in into the playoffs um, if they really need to. Not to mention the fact that you have um, Matthew Coronado, uh, Pelti- Jacob Peltier, and uh, Connor Zary. In, in minors, so they could, you know, make some noise, and maybe they'll be called up at some point um, this season. Um, yeah, what do, what do you think of from the Calgary side of things? What do, what do you think of it? Again, the reason why I say this trade tree could 
have an impact 20 plus years down the line. It all depends on what happens with Huberto and Uyghur. They could stick around in, uh, for several years and then get traded later, or they could get traded immediately for futures that help them out later. And the key thing to note about Jonathan Huberto, a couple of things. First of all, this guy, in terms of 82 game pace, has averaged 90 plus points in each of the past four seasons. And uh, people, um, forget that he had the same amount of points as Huberto this past season, 115. Both got 115 points. I'm sure both uh, got Hart Trophy consideration, Goudreau, and of course Huberto, we know. Um, and uh, Huberto said himself that uh, he thinks he can get Elias Lindholm to 50 goals. So he's already, he's already committed to at least giving Calgary a shot, which is a good sign. Um, he's, like I said, willing to talk extension with the Flames. Weger uh, has said the same thing. But you're looking at a guy that can rack up the assist just like Johnny Goudreau can. Um, a guy that doesn't really shoot the puck much, although he can still get 180, 190, 200 shots on goal a season. You can get maybe like 25, 30 goals out of him too. Um, the playmaking is where he's really going to thrive. He's got a solid uh, two-way center uh, in Elias Lindholm there. And it should be noted that, like you said, most of the damage that he did in Florida recently – has been outside of the Barkov line. He's been primarily used as a second-line player. Yep. Now, that being said, um, when the trade was made, shortly after the trade was made, David Pagnotta from the fourth period was reporting on SiriusXM uh, that apparently teams were already talking to Calgary about, hey, how long do you want to keep Huberto? Because uh, yeah. if you don't have any plans on using him, we'll happily take him off your hands. So the, the market has already been set. Like, uh, supposedly, there have been teams already waiting on the back door, s nudging Calgary, saying, hey, if you're going to trade this guy, let us know. We'd like to have in on this. Because, show of hands, who thinks Nathan McKinnon's testing the open market? He's not. Which makes Jonathan Huberto the clear-cut best player on the market. And there are a lot of quality players in 2023 slated to hit the open market. Jonathan Huberto is a cut above the rest. Especially if Nathan McKinnon is not on that list. And, he, and I highly doubt he is. So you're going to have a lot of suitors lining up. You're probably going to get the best value you can for him if you trade him. If things don't work out. And if things do work out and you get Huberto locked up, then what do you do? Good for you, Calgary. That's solid. Mackenzie Weger, I think, could be the diamond in the rough, and I guess so could prospect Cole Schwind as well. But you look at Mackenzie Weger. The past two seasons, 36 points in 54 games in that uh, pandemic season. That's a 55 per 82 pace, points-wise. Uh, he had 118 hits, 83 block shots. Um, uh, there was a previous season that was 2018-19, uh, in which he had 127 hits and 103 shots. The year before that, he had 108 hits and 69 blocks. This past year, 80, 80 games played, 44 points. So that's a 45 pace over 82 games. 203 shots on goal, pretty good. 179 hits, 156 block shots. Didn't even get a minute of power play time. And in all situations, averaged 23-22 per game. You look at a situation where teams could be in the market for Jacob Chikrin, let's say, and the Coyotes don't want to move him. 
a lot of teams could use a defenseman like Mackenzie Weger. So you could get solid value out of him in the event he doesn't want to stay either. So Calgary, for these two players, could get a lot of future assets. So at the very least, right now, they're saying, we still think we can contend. We're going to give this the old college try and see what happens. And if not, we're going to get more futures. The other thing I will say about Calgary is if Huberto and Uyghur both leave, I'm interested to see this time next year what they're thinking if they end up going the rebuild. Because it should be noted that in two years from now, Tyler Toffoli becomes a free agent and so does Elias Lindholm. Both, I think, are undervalued, especially Elias Lindholm. And Elias Lindholm is probably going to get paid on the open market if he hits free agency in 2024. So at that point, if both of those guys are gone, do they keep to Foley Lindholm or do they make the tough decision and start rebuilding? That's the other anecdotal add to this. I wonder, because I I noticed that they have 9.3 million in cap space. I do wonder if they go out and get uh, Nazem Kadri. Yeah. That would be the... um, that would be the interesting move, I think. Um, but I don't know. And, and I, yeah. money won't be an issue. It should be noted right. for the Flames next year because sure. both Milan Lucic and Sean Monahan have one year left on their yeah, deals. Said, yeah. So it's not like they'll be struggling to find money to keep Huberto and Uyghur. They'll right. have the money. It's just whether or not they can convince Huberto and Uyghur that their best their best chance to win, the best place to win is here in Calgary. And well, else. well, that's why I was thinking, like, if Kadri is added to this Calgary team, it's like, like, before I'm thinking, like, okay, they'll probably be a t- bubble team. But if they add Kadri, I'm like, okay, yeah, this team is definitely going to make the playoffs um, and could be a contender. Um, but, like, I don't know if, like, if Kadri sees it that way or anything like that. But but they, they would definitely have enough money to, um, to get someone like Hadri and then it's like okay you lose Gaudreau and Kachuk significant losses for sure but if you add Huberdeau and Kadri uh that you know that's that's not like a terrible a terrible trade it should also be noted that um Toronto back when they were trading Nazem Kadri uh they did have a deal in place supposedly with Calgary and Kadri said no to it Oh, interesting. So there's that lingering in the background is, if that is in case true, um, what does Calgary have to overcome to convince Nazem Kadri that he should sign long-term there? Because he's narrowed it down to teams that he think he can contend with and that have the cap space to do it. So it's, it's, it's not like he's open to any scenario. He wants to be on a contender short-term and long-term right and that'll ultimately decide where he signs well it's just more that i'm like i'm looking at like the teams that have cap space and like teams that i would think are contenders it's like they're like (laughs) there's not a ton it's pretty much just the islanders the devils the stars but they have their own issues um and yeah and maybe the red wings uh but like they would have to prove it and everyone else is like either a contender or d- can't make room for for Nazem Kadri. So yeah, we'll see. And and you know, oh, I guess we'll we'll talk about him later on when we talk about Klingberg. But I wouldn't be shocked if Kadri just does a one a similar type thing that uh, Klingberg ended up doing. 
Um, yeah, and 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 that and the future moves that Calgary could make, it could also be on the trade right. market too. Because once Nazem Kadri signs again, like I like we said in the previous episode, right. I feel that could be the domino effect that starts the trade market. That's because fair. Yeah. at that point, it's just depth guys for pennies on the dollar right. uh, that you take one or two year gambles on at close to league minimum. Right. Uh, and and there are some valuable guys like PK Subban and Phil Kessel, but they're not getting the same money that they got on their last deal. Or or it's something like uh, you know Chikrin gets traded or uh, some yes, of these guys exactly. get traded. Yes, exactly. Chikrin gets traded. JT Miller gets traded. Right. That's another one. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, Patrick Line he uh, resigns with Columbus, a four-year, uh, a deal worth eight point seven million. Um, not too shocking considering the fact that, well, I mean, it is shocking just from the standpoint that, like, uh, it's Columbus. Um, but I, I think we should kind of, st- uh, shed that reputation that Columbus has that no one wants to sign there after the Goudreau signing and the Line A signing. Um, so it, it's kind of cool. Um, he also mentioned, uh, and, and Line A actually had a, a decent season this past year, 56 points in 56 games. Uh, so he uh, and 26 goals, uh, 30 assists. So he is, um, you know, uh, the last couple of years he was kind of um, slow to to get to what we had expected him of being. But uh, yeah, just a point per game player. I'll take that. Um, especially since he um, he said that when he first heard about the Gaudreau signing uh, from Yarmo. Uh, he his hands were shaking, and he, this was like the most excited he's been to get back to playing hockey in a long, yeah. long time. So it just speaks to the fact that like good, like that's like just really the Gaudreau effect. I could you know I could see that Lanai Line would sign with Columbus anyways if they if Gaudreau didn't sign with um, with Columbus, but. Um, but it is kind of cool that like Line A is so excited to play uh, with Gaudreau, and and that was probably like a huge factor in getting Line A to to sign with them uh, for a relatively long term. Even though it's like you know four years, it's not too bad. Um, by the end of this contract, he's going to be twenty eight years old, so he can sign another contract after that. But you know that that's that's not too bad. So before we get it, because at this point, uh, Columbus is um, over the cap, and we'll get to the trade that they made to dump some cap in a second. But what do you think of this Patrick Line move? I think even if you put him on the second line, it could still be a good idea because they also yeah. have Jacob Voracek for another two seasons. And he, uh, you talk about Johnny Gaudreau and his playmaking abilities. Yeah. Voracek has been pretty good as well. Sure. It should be noted that Patrick Line's shooting percentage this past year is 15.6%. His previous uh, highs, 17.6 and 18.3. That was in year one and year two, respectively, in the NHL. It's been below 15% since then. Uh, Even in years where he got 200-plus shots and scored 30-plus goals with the Winnipeg Jets, uh, even uh, his third season when he had 20 power play goals, uh, or uh, that was his second season, rather. Uh, But the season uh, after that, his third season, he had 15 power play goals. His shooting percentage was 12.2%. He only took 167 shots this past season, and he got 26 goals. And his 82 game pace of 82 
was the highest it's ever been as an NHL player. And he did that on a very underwhelming Columbus Blue Jackets offense. So obviously it could go next level with Johnny Gaudreau. He could be a consistent 40 to 50 goal scorer. But I think it could be he could be just as effective because people are focusing a lot on Johnny Gaudreau, as I mentioned. You're focusing on the star players on this line, but hey, on the next line, you also got to worry about these guys. And that opens time and space and scoring opportunities for the other guys on the roster to yeah. do some of their damage. And uh, Patrick Line could benefit from that, even if he's not on Gaudreau's line. Um, it, it, it's just another reason why uh, Columbus uh, could be a team uh, to watch out for this upcoming yeah. season. I think over time, the $8.7 million value is going to be worth it. Um, I think it's worth it if he hits the 40 to 50 goal barrier. If you're paying somebody a natural goal scorer like Patrick Line to get 30 to 35 goals, I feel like $8.7 million is a bit much uh, unless uh, the points come with it. And I, I think Patrick Line can be a playmaker, but not to the point where um, he's like a Jonathan Huberto level. Yeah, he, he can right. probably like keep pace with most of his goals uh, on the assist target, but I don't think he can really surpass that by a whole whack amount. So goal scoring is what you pay Patrick Line. Power play presence is what you pay Patrick Line to be. And I think as long as he lives up to both of those things, uh, this contract is worth it. I like the term only four years. Yep. Um, so if things don't work out, it's uh, not that hard to move on from. True. Uh, and I definitely think there's there's a lot of upside, a lot of untapped potential for a guy who's only 24 years old. Right. Like we talk about how young Matthew Kachuk is. Patrick Line is 24 years old. True. Also, he's six foot five. I didn't realize Patrick Line was that tall. Yeah. Enough. Yeah, he also hits a lot. Like he's basically a power forward, or like a like. I, I hate drawing comparisons to Ovechkin because no one is really Ovechkin, but he's probably the closest to Ovechkin in the league um, to anyone. But yeah, he's um, yeah he he's a he's a phenomenal player. I think it's like it's more just the fact that like you know you you get Johnny Gaudreau who helps a lot as you were mentioning with like the playmaking side of things. So it's like you have. A guy who can pass the puck like nobody's business, like Gaudreau, and then you get someone who can shoot the puck like nobody's business in Line A, and then it's like, okay, this is this is a, a nice duo. So it's like that's why you sign the sign Johnny Gaudreau, it's so that you can pair him with a Patrick Line and things like that. Um, what's interesting, and we'll we'll get to the Borkstrand trade in a second, but what's interesting is is currently according to Cap Friendly they have. Boone Jenner as the center for Gaudreau and Line A. Um, and then the next line you have Gustav Nyquist, Jack Roslevic, and Jacob Voracek. So it's like there is a danger that Columbus could end up being like a one-line team. Um, but um, but yeah, at the same time, it's like you make that move 100% out of 100 times. You can. So, so there's that. Um, I alluded to it. Um, so yes, the with this signing, Columbus, um, and and the Gaudreau signing, as well as the Erica Brunson signing that we didn't even talk about, uh, four million for four years, which is ridiculous. Um, but the Columbus Blue Jackets were over the cap, um, so they had to make some type of trade. 
Uh, there were kind of reports of like, uh, it was, you know, it was almost like a couple hours after the Line A signing. So we were kind of like think, thinking that, okay, maybe you trade Gustav Nyquist, maybe you trade Voracek, maybe you trade um, Jake Bean or something because he didn't have a great season this past year. Um, but no, instead they trade uh, Oliver Borkstrand to Seattle and Columbus gets back a 2023 third round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. Um, and obviously, like, Oliver Borgstrand is a pretty good player. He's kind of underrated as well. Um, he had 57 points in 80 games last year. Um, and um, although, albeit he had a minus 35 and plus minus, take what you will with plus minus, but it's not great, um, even if apparently his advanced numbers are, are really, really special, but um, yeah, minus 35 is not great, um, even though I don't like to think of plus minus as uh, too crazy, but that when, when it stands out like that, it's just like, okay, maybe he's not as good as the advanced stats like you to think, but anyways, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like, yes, would Columbus would have rather traded Nyquist away would they have rather traded uh, even Voracek away? Yes, for sure. But at the same time, it's like, we don't know what the market was for uh, Nyquist or um, or Voracek or any of these guys because like, very likely they would have had to package a pick with with those guys just to, just to get them away from there. Um, and instead, at least you get two picks it's like, yeah, on like a normal circumstances, you could get more for, for Borkstrand, but, but at the same time, it's just like, okay, at least they get some picks for it. Um, on the Seattle side of things, um, they, they're, they also kind of become a very, very interesting team. They signed um, Andre Burkowski, who we talked about last week, but then you also get add in Borkstrand. Um, you have... Um, Maddie Beneers, who uh, who's gonna play this year? Shane Wright brought back probably, Ryan Donato as well. Brought, brought, yeah, although he's like more of a bottom six player, but yes, uh, they also added him. Um, you you know Shane Wright will probably play um, at some point this season as well. So it's just um, yeah, it it will be. Uh, I I I like this move for Seattle because it's like okay, Borkstrand can can kind of like you know. Um, help out their their top their top six of the market, um, and you know maybe you just wait for Beniers and Shane Wright to be ready um, because I think eventually they're going to surpass Yanni Gord as the center, um, and I guess uh, Alex Winberg who's the other center that they have too. But um, yeah, so so I I do like it for Seattle. It's just like I feel like. Seattle's having the offseason that they thought we thought they would have last year, but they're having it this year um, instead. Um, but um, so I like it for Seattle. Um, it is like I, I did see some things on like Twitter that like people were so confused about this Borkstrand thing. But to, in my mind, it's like the positive, like the pro, the positives of having Gaudreau and Line A locked up, like is outweighs the the negatives of trading away Borgstrand and signing Good Branson, let's be honest. So um, so it's like, yeah, you, you shouldn't have signed Good Branson. You shouldn't have traded to the point where 
you would be able to afford Borgstrand if you didn't do that Gud Branson stuff. But at the same time, it's like you have Line A and um, and uh, and Gaudreau, and I think that the this Columbus team is closer to the Stanley Cup than they were last year too. I think the main reason why they traded um, a guy like Bjorkstrand or a guy like Nyquist is that Gustav Nyquist has a year left on his deal, True. and Bjorkstrand's got four at $5.4 million. And I feel that Columbus could weaponize their cap space to get a guy that they think will complement Goudreau and Line A and all of their other assets uh, better in a future offseason or in a future trade. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why they gave up on Bjorkstrand is because of term. And and not not much else. It's it's term. That being said, um it's pretty underwhelming the return that they got. But if it's to get Goudreau and Line A on the team, uh, extend Line A and sign Goudreau. I'm sure you take that trade every single day of the week, like you said, Brad. Yeah. Um, I think more people, like you said, uh, are puzzled that <laughs> you traded Bjorkstrand, yet you gave Branson all that money because why? You probably could have kept him yep. somehow, some way, without that Branson contract. Yeah, I'll admit and that you know that was more of a waffle than, than the fact yeah. that you trade Bjorkstrand for a captain move. Yeah, Sorry. and I, I also think with Line A and Goudreau now in the mix long-term, um, or at least short-term, long-term, um, I don't know if you get the same kind of production as you did with Bjorkstrand. Like, Bjorkstrand this past season was averaging 307 of power play time. He got nine goals, 10 assists on the power play. Uh, his ice time overall only went up. Uh, 20 seconds per game compared to the previous season. It was 1737 uh, in uh, 56 games back in 2020-21 and it only went up to 1757 this past season and his power play time jumped from 137 to 307 in that span. Uh, So a lot of that ice jump, a lot of that jump in ice time was on the power play and he was a plus he was a minus 20 worse than the previous season. He was minus 15 in 20, 2021, minus 35, like you said, this year. Uh, 20 goals, 57 points in 80 games. Uh, I like that offensive upside for Seattle. That's a boost to your top six. Like you said, uh, he can play on the power play. He can get results on the power play. And uh, he also got 215 shots on goals. So he was getting plenty of opportunities to shoot the puck as well. I think there's untapped potential for Bjorkstrand. I think he can do a lot of good things in Seattle. He's only 27 years old, so there's room to grow there. Um, I, I just don't think he was going to be a key fixture in Columbus's offense moving forward. And with Seattle, I think uh, it's a fresh start um, that uh, could, could I think, benefit him uh, in the long run. They can kind of see where he belongs there. And I think as time goes on, when Seattle kind of dissects who fits into what slot, who to keep, who to trade, uh, they don't have a lot of guys with term on that team, um, with the exception of the likes of Jared McCann and Jordan Neverlay. 
there's there's room to grow for Bjorkstrand in Seattle that I don't think could have been there in Columbus with Goudreau and uh, Line A in the in the long term future. So um, I think I think it's a deal that kind of works out for both sides. Obviously, you'd like to get more of a return if you're Columbus, but again, you got Goudreau, you got Line A. Who who really cares? Also, like when you look at other cap dump moves, uh, patches literally got nothing <laughs> like Vegas literally got nothing zero from yeah. Max Pacioretty uh, which which anecdotally yeah. I'll uh, point out if you uh, if you listen to Agent Provocateur which is a part of the Steve Dingle podcast with Adam Wilde and uh, NHL or agent Alan Walsh who is Pacioretty's agent it was more of a gesture by Carolina saying we like the player and we'll take on the contract and we're giving you nothing enjoy yeah <laughs> It was more Carolina dictating the conversation and that they wouldn't give Vegas anything as opposed to Vegas just saying uh, you guys can have him for free. It was just yeah. uh it was just a it was just a kick in the butt and to not treat players like cattle kind of memo <laughs> to Vegas. Well, he was uh he more was, than any. He was Mark Andre Fleury's uh, agent as well, so um <laughs> so that's probably yeah. yeah. Helped. You know what? Those butt jerks are actually pretty nice. Yeah, when you exactly. consider, <laughs> right, when you consider right. the balance of order and justice. Right, right. They're actually not bad. Um, and yeah, and that was the second Alan Walsh reference we had because he was Huberto's agent as well. Um, mm-hmm. um, and also the the other thing that I wanted to mention with Columbus was the fact that last off season they basically fleece uh, Chicago with that Seth Jones uh, trade. <laughs> Um, and uh, they ended up getting Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger and Corson Coolmans, who uh, Cole Sillinger even played this past year, and he's he was pretty good. Yep. Um, and then Kent Johnson, he's going to be pretty good once he's uh, ready. They also have NHL. Igor Chinnikov in the mix too. Yeah, People Chinnikov's forget he one. was uh, he, he's a future name to watch as well right, with right. NHL experience. And, and then Corson Coolmans, who will probably be good. But then this this year, you also get uh, David uh, Yerchek. And Denton Matejchuk, I'm um, in the first round, and a lot of people have been saying that. I think the uh, that Matejchuk is going to be like one of the best defensemen in that draft. So, um, so yeah, and, and Yerchuk might be uh, there too. So, um, so it's like it's, it's it is kind of funny that they had, you know, they they made the the biggest off season signing with Gaudreau, but that like technically. They're like in rebuild. <laughs> like they've been doing all these. Like they've been yeah, doing this, all these. This, dress-ups. ladies and gentlemen, take notes: is how you rebuild properly. Yep. I mean, it, it is very related to what they're doing with uh, with what the Rangers did, where they get Artemi Panarin um, a little bit early before the Rangers, like all the prospects, were ready. Um, but yeah, if you get Johnny Gaudreau, um, you could you could potentially be um, a very very good team um, in the future. Um, okay, uh, let's. Oh, and did you have anything more on what this means for Seattle? Um, I I think I think more so. It's it's a message to the fans that hey, get excited. We're, we're getting quality NHL talent. This this last year, this first year, didn't go as planned, but things are slowly going to get better for this team. I can feel it. It might not happen this year. It might not happen the year after, but once you get to year four, as you start to evaluate what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, 
and the players that are in it for the long haul start to sign long term uh, and Ron Francis gets his guys um, Seattle's going to be a threat and yeah. I, I'm, I can't. I, I, I'm very excited uh, to to see what they're able to pull off. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Columbus and Seattle are the most interesting teams coming into this season. Because uh, I am curious. Like I know Shane, like Shane Wright, fell to them, but I am curious to see how he is developed, um, and if he plays right away, uh, and and all that stuff. Because like I could see. Montreal regretting their choice right away um, if if Shane Wright is like ready right now. Um, although I guess Slavkovsky is probably ready right now too. So <laughs> we'll see. That should be pretty interesting just to see it from the future. But yeah, like and then you add guys like Borkstrand and Burakovsky. Um, yeah, I, I you know are already guys with McCann and, and Gord. It's like okay, I can I can see them. I can see them being like a pretty good team, um, but yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how their goalies work and if uh, if their defense can be um, can pick it up as well. But um, but yeah, I, I do I do find Seattle to be a very interesting team um, moving forward. Um, all right, uh, so we also have uh, we did kind of reference it, but last week uh, or last show we were talking about how the two biggest free agent signings that uh, haven't signed just yet is uh, John Klingberg and Nazem Kadri. Kadri still hasn't signed yet, but John Klingberg has. Um, what was interesting though is uh, well one he got married um, and what was interesting was like guys like uh, Sagan, Hintz, uh, Jimmy Ben, uh, Pavelski, there was a bunch of stars players, uh, Miro, uh, was we're all at his wedding, so I, I part of me was wondering if like he was he wanted to sign after the wedding just to avoid all the awkwardness. Um, yeah. But uh, like this was like the last hurrah with the boys, um, so so that was nice to to see it on the Instagram um, and, and things like that. But um, anyways, uh, back to hockey. He signed. Uh, oh, and also he uh, fires his agent because uh, yeah. supposedly. Um, or it was reported that Klingberg was looking for a long-term deal, like seven million for by eight million. Oh, sorry, eight million by seven for seven years, somewhere. Um, and he wasn't getting there from from Dallas, not because of the Miro Heiskanen, uh, contract, the Sagan contract, the the Ben contract, the inevitable Edinger and uh, Josh um, Jason Robertson, uh, contract. Um, but, uh, so, so he's not getting that from Dallas, but, uh, yeah, but then that didn't end up happening because all the teams kind of spent a lot, um, and in this flat cap era, it's like, there's just not enough room for John Klingberg. Um, and, uh, so yeah, he fires his agent, um, and I had kind of, like, guessed, like, this kind of just means that he's probably going to sign a cheap deal or, like, a, like a cheaper term deal like worth one year but he's going to be making like you know like it'll be a cheap deal just like a prove it deal type thing and he goes somewhere else and then um and then uh and then you know and then get uh and then get paid the next the following year um long term um 
though he is turning 30 in a few few days so um who knows if like teams will be willing to offer him a lot more money than he did this year but uh no one ended up doing that and the only team that could really make room for him um that were like suedo uh competitive were the anaheim ducks um and that's where he goes he signs one year for seven million um to anaheim um Anaheim, uh, so it's interesting. So John Klingberg has 47 points in 74 games. Um, and uh, this move will push the Ducks uh, to, they reach the floor with this move. Um, and that's probably why they do it. But they still have 18.8 million left in cap space. However, it's not like they can go and sign Nazem Kadri, not just because they're not really contenders. But uh, next year, they have uh, Comtois, uh, Terry, Zegris, um, Drysdale, and Dostal all as RFAs to sign. Um, so, so I, I think that's in part why they haven't. They've been relatively quiet this year because they're because they know next year it's going to be even crazier to sign any of these guys. Um, and so, so that's probably why. Um, they were going to si- uh, sign Klingberg to this deal as like a kind of a proof of contract. And then they can kind of do what uh, the Buffalo Sabres did with Taylor Hall a few years ago. Um, and, um, you know, you keep them until the trade deadline, then you trade them off um, when, you're, when your team isn't going to make the playoffs. Um, however, I... I don't know. I, I oh, and the other thing about John Klingberg's contract, which is interesting, is is he has a no movement clause, but uh, as soon as it's January first of twenty twenty three, he uh, that turns into a ten team no trade clause. So he can uh, so like <laughs> will probably be traded in that window of uh, from January <laughs> to March. We know exactly that that's going to be the timeline, but. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to, like, get a ton of, a ton of, uh, like, assets from this Klingberg thing. At least they'll get something, just because it's, like, a 10-team no-trade clause. But, but yeah, I think it's, it's one of those deals that it's, like, it's good for both sides, where, like, the Ducks aren't necessarily tanking for Connor Bedard. They have Zegris, they have... Mason McTavish um, they have a few prospects already so it's not like they're they're necessarily need a Connor Bedard of course they would take him if, if they ended up getting him but um, they would uh, you know they, they don't necessarily need him um, and um, but they're not really playoff like I wouldn't consider them playoff a playoff team just yet or playoff guaranteed team just yet and whereas for Klingberg this is like okay he can he can kind of prove that he, um, you know, he can score. He can be the power play specialist, and kind of, um, you know, maybe help mentor uh, Jamie Drysdale or whoever uh, needs the help and and help the the Ducks with with that with their cap situation. And then yeah, and then and then he gets traded, and that can help. Um, I I was wondering if like there's a chance that Klingberg signs long term, but. Considering the fact that they have a bunch of free agents next year, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I I think it's it's kind of a, a good move because it's pretty much the only team that 
John Klingberg really could sign to um, that this makes sense with because all the contenders don't have room for him. I think this is a win-win situation for the Ducks. Yep. Because Jonathan Klingberg, I think, is guaranteed to have a bounce-back campaign. How much of a bounce-back campaign, we'll wait and see. But you're telling me he can't have a worse season than he did in Dallas with the likes of Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras, and they also have Cam Fowler. Like, there's a lot of young offensive guys that can give him a lot of opportunities to rack up assists, maybe get the odd goal or two here and there. And best case scenario, maybe he's a fit with the Ducks and he has a profitable career in Anaheim and he signs like a four or five year extension. Cause I think that's probably the term I'd go with Kleinberg at this point. And if not, then you trade him for futures because if you look at uh, the free agency list, Next year, we mentioned how loaded it is. It's not loaded on the blue line, let me tell you. Um, the mo- the guy with the most points this past year that is on that list at number 26 with the most points across all positions with 51 points in 82 games is Shane frickin' Gostisbehere at the age of 30. Yeah. Right. Um, I believe that's what he's going to be uh, when uh, yeah. his deal ends. Yes. Uh, Kleinberg will be turning uh, 30 shortly, but he's currently 29 years old now. Um, then you have John Kleinberg at age 30 with uh, 47 points in 74 games. Below him is Damon Severson with uh, practically a career season, 46 points in 80 games on a bad Devils team. I'm not really sure if that's the best hockey we'll ever see from Severson. Um, and in terms of guys that can consistently put up 40, maybe 50 or 60 points, I'd probably bet on Klingberg more often than I bet uh, Damon Severson to do that. You also have Mackenzie Weger, as we mentioned, an underrated name on the market, but I mean, John Klingberg in that offense, probably a lot of upside there. There's a lot of options out there in the free agent market, but on the blue line, it's pretty thin. So Klingberg still puts himself in a very good position you, to get uh, paid next offseason. Did you mention uh, Matt Dumba? I, I forget if you did or not. Oh, yes, Matt Dumba as well. Matt Dumba, uh, his name probably doesn't show up on the first list because I, I think he missed some time uh, due to injury. Yeah. But, yeah, Matt Dumba is also on there, and he's also uh, an interesting name. Um, but, yeah, outside of those guys, yeah, there is Matt Dumba. He uh, had 27 points in just 57 games. Um, but outside of those names, uh, the defense uh, list is pretty thin in terms of consistent offensive point producers. And I definitely think uh, when we get to the open market next year, if Klingberg has a better season, and he'll definitely get a lot of reps in Anaheim to prove that that he's got a lot left in the tank. Um that could translate into a long-term payday. And I think this time around, unfortunately, he had to settle. I think this is the perfect short-term situation for him. We'll see what happens. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the Anaheim Ducks are going to win. Because if he's not a fit, they get futures for him. And he's guaranteed to bounce back with that talented Ducks offense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Ducks also have uh, they have Drysdale, um, Olin Zellweger, who had a Phenomenal. Yep. Um, Drew uh, Hellison, who they got in the Josh Mason trade, add yeah, him to the list too. They have uh, 
Minchukov, I believe. Minchukov, uh, they yeah. drafted uh, with yeah. their first round pick this year too. Yeah, they they have a few defensemen in their system. Um, mainly, Zell- I was just thinking of Minchukov and Zellweger and Drysdale, mm-hmm. but but yeah. So it's like even if they like they don't re-sign John Klingberg, it's like okay, they have a lot of defensemen in their system that will uh, will help them out from that standpoint, but. Um, yeah, there, there, there's definitely, um, there's definitely uh, something that's that's. Uh, I, I, I like this move for them, uh, for the Ducks, for sure. It's like, yeah, they they probably won't make the playoffs, but uh, at least they can they can do something with it, and and maybe like you know, uh, Drysdale isn't ready yet, or Zellweger isn't ready yet. So you just you know you get Klingberg who is ready, and um, and even if it's just for half of a season, you can. Uh, kind of just um, get Drysdale more acclimated, and maybe you bring up Zellweger um, if he is, um, you know, if he t- becomes too good in the AHL. Um, all right. Uh, lastly, um, there were reports that Pierre Luc Dubois wanted out of uh, of Winnipeg, and there was like rumors that he was going to be traded to Montreal. Um, that turns out to not be true. And on the same day as um, his, uh, as uh, his, uh, I guess his trade partner, a counterpart, um, <laughs> Patrick Line, uh, <laughs> right. he signs a one-year deal worth six million um, for for Winnipeg. Um, I guess he could still technically be traded again. Uh, it's not like out of the question, but. Um, but yeah, he, he resigns with Winnipeg, um, and yeah, I guess there's no no movement clause or no trade clause anywhere in this in this contract. So, um, so yeah, they could they could technically trade him tomorrow, and, and we'll see. Uh, he he ended up having another bounce back season like he, uh, like Patrick Laine did, uh, 60, 60 points in eighty one games. Um, and uh, yeah, he he. Um, so th- that was a nice pick. I think it's it was more su- surprising just because there was speculation that Pierre Luc Dubois didn't want to sign with Winnipeg, but um, but I guess it's 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 definitely possible that he. I guess that could still be true that he could still be traded, but um, not at the moment. And he he's signing with Winnipeg. In Pierre Luc Dubois' defense, the part where his agent that uh, Pat Brisson said um, that. You know, the Montreal Canadiens are a team that he grew up watching and that ultimately maybe would like to play for someday. You know what? I'm sure Vinny LeCavalier wanted to play for the Montreal Canadiens. I'm sure Jonathan Huberdeau would want to play for the Montreal Canadiens. Everyone wants to play for their hometown team. We don't usually see it. We did recently see it with Claude Giroux. Um, Artemi Panarin isn't from New York, but he wanted to go to New York. So he went to New York as a free agent. Every every player has a team they grew up cheering for, and they have this vision of putting on that jersey someday. All of that can be true. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois said what he said to save face. Partially. And maybe he's genuine about it. Uh, Maybe he does like Winnipeg. Maybe he didn't ask for a trade. And and I, I, I definitely believe him when he said he didn't ask for a trade. But... If you look at how things ended in Columbus, this would be the second time he's played himself out of a market. 
there was that infamous shift in Columbus where he just half-assed it to and from the bench, and a few days later he became a Winnipeg Jet. If a year, two years down the road, it sounds like he's playing his way out of Winnipeg, that doesn't look good on a player when he hits free agency. That that kind of that kind of stench sticks with a lot of GMs. Right. Even even the GM uh, for a rebuilding Montreal Canadiens team, they remembered that. So, I think part of this is an attempt to save face because his reputation takes an even bigger hit if it is true and he does one out of Winnipeg. My response is simple. Play every single game like it's your last and prove that you're worth every single penny when you hit the open market. Prove that you're a team guy. And if you really like Winnipeg, then in a couple of years, I'll see that the Jets signed you to a long-term deal. Mm. We'll see what happens in 2024. That's all I'm going to say. We'll see what happens in 2024. We'll see if he hits the open market. We'll see where he goes. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's his decision where he wants to sign his long-term extension when the time is right. Uh, and he does and he does mention that um, part of the reason why he was taking the one-year deal is because when he signs that long-term deal, he says it could be the last time like he gets paid for the rest of his career, which if he were to hit the open market at the earliest age possible and he took like a seven-year deal to go to another team, that would take him to what? He's like 33, 34 years old? Something like that, yeah. Sure, he could get some other contracts, but he's not really going to get paid like he would um, – like you would at age 26 or 27 that's his argument which i totally get i totally respect that you really want to make sure you're making the right choice when you sign that contract but we'll see if that choice is with winnipeg regardless of what happens if he does end up leaving winnipeg in a couple of years i just hope he doesn't play himself out of there i hope he works hard every single shift he gives the winnipeg jets his best hockey ever and if he leaves he leaves it is what it is just don't play yourself. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess it's I'm I'm not sure if it's like necess like I, I feel like we like yeah, I know that like it was an ugly departure from Columbus, but I think that had more to do with the fact that like he was fighting with John Tortorella than the fact that he he just didn't like he like he he's lazy or whatever. Um, True, but I'm just saying if it happens in another market, then yeah. it goes beyond the then, John Torrell that, problem, and fair. it's a player problem. That, that, yeah, then that's fair. But, I mean, I, I don't, like, yeah, no, I, I sort of agree to you from a, to an extent that I think they're, like, he doesn't 100% want to stay in Winnipeg. But, I don't know, I, I think there there is also, like, the factor of, like, he, he probably could have just, waited until Winnipeg was forced to trade him too so like I I, I think there is something to be said to it like okay at least he signed and, and we'll see what what happens but um but yeah I, and maybe I don't know. part of maybe part of the decision is because he's not sure what the Jets are going to look like in a couple True. of years because I've been uh reading uh, the newspapers and there's been trade chatter involving Blake Wheeler maybe yep. there's trade chatter involving Mark Shifley uh, right. Not like like it's like they're being shot, but like around those trade rumor mills, um, you know, people are talking about you know how much longer does Blake Wheeler have left? Well, or yeah. What well, what what direction do the Jets go? True, and that's fair. 
you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, the Winnipeg team that he signs with today may look awfully different in two years from now. Right. And the last thing I'm sure that he wants to do is make a big mistake before he hits the open market. He, he probably, if anything, maybe just wants to be sure that he's making the right decision. Yeah. And right now he doesn't know. I mean, that's totally fair. But like, so like, let's say, well, Blake Wheeler has, isn't the same player he was a year ago or two or like mm-hmm. five years ago. So that that could definitely play a factor for sure. Where or that's a big reason why Winnipeg wasn't as good was just because Wheeler wasn't as good as he, we expect him to be. Um, but like, yeah, I guess maybe that does play a part into Winnipeg um, or his his factor of like, yeah, I, I could see Winnipeg being in rebuild mode. Um, but I don't know if it necessarily hinges on Blake Wheeler's decision um, because it could it could just be like the factor that. Like, yeah, you have Kyle Connor, you have Mark Shifley, you have Cole Perfetti coming in, um, mm-hmm. and Ellers, who's also pretty good, too. But, um, like, who else do does Winnipeg have? I mean, of course, you yep. have uh, Hellebuck as well, but, like, yeah. They already lean on Hellebuck a lot, as yeah, it true. is. True. So it's like, I, I don't know if, like, Winnipeg is even really going to be a contender, even if, like, Wheeler's like, you know what, I'm I'm out of here. Like, maybe it does make sense from a Winnipeg perspective to start rebuilding. Anyways, but, um, but yeah, if you build your team, maybe you do build your team around Pierre-Luc Dubois because he is 24 years old um, at the moment, so, so maybe that's something that could be enticing for, for him if um, Shovel Day off plays his card right, cards right, but... I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, that 2016 draft class is kind of weird. Like, yeah. you consider what, how Pugliarvi's career has gone, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Matthew Kachuk. There's Patrick there's Lange. a lot of layers to that draft class now that you think about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that is a good point. Well, I remember thinking of it when it was line A for, um, for PLD. Oh, yeah, line A is another one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you also have Austin <laughs> Matthews. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think of the fact that Matthew Kachuk is also there. Pula URV. Um, did we talk about it? Yeah, he gets signed. Uh, Clayton Keller, I'm just looking at their list here. Charlie McAvoy, yeah. Chikrin. Um, let's see here. I'm just looking down the list here of 2016. Notable guys. Kairu. Logan Brown, I think, was another yeah. one. Debrincat. Um, yep. Uh, Kale Clay. Yeah, the Brinkett was a second round pick as yeah, well. Yeah, Carter Hart, Kata Hot, yep. uh, Heronic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you get into the third round. Adam Fox was in the third round. This yeah. Is crazy. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, I said, a lot of layers to that draft. Yeah. A lot of stars that come out of that draft, but yeah. not all of them blossomed into stars right away. Or Jesper Bratt. Taken short turns. How about this? Jesper Bratt in the sixth round? Yep. Yep. Um, Current unsigned RFA, still not paid by the Devils yet. Uh, uh, let me see. Yeah, I guess that's it. But um, mm-hmm. that's quite a list already, and that's what, that's uh, six years ago? I don't know. Yeah. What was crazy, too, was, um, I don't know, I, I think we've mentioned the hockey guy on, on our Oh yeah, we mentioned on our, a bunch. Yeah. Uh, our podcast, we definitely do mention him all, all the time in our email threads, but I don't know if we've done it publicly. But uh, he did a redraft of the twenty-seven NHL draft, and it was just like 
it's crazy how many players um, were in that 2017 draft. Um, mm-hmm. If you do a redraft, so it was, it was kind of cool, and I would recommend that to anyone who wants to, uh, who's like bored of um, of things uh, that aren't hockey or just needs something hockey content uh, during this rough period. But yeah, uh, speaking of which, uh, that's it for us here on Lace Em Up. Um, we're going to take a two, uh, in the month of August, yes, there's the World Juniors, but we're going to take a two-week break, um, Mm -hmm. in the month of August, um, and we'll be back, um, in September where we'll do the previews, um, and, you know, and catch you up on, on what happened, um, in August. Of course, we're going to be watching the World Juniors, but it's mostly just because I'm going to be away for two weeks, uh, Steve's going to be away for, uh, uh, two weeks as well. Um, I think yep. it's around the same time too, but yeah. So, uh, so that's really the the main reason why we're doing that. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see you. I'm sure Kadri's going to sign the next two weeks, and and then that's, <laughs> that that will be our. Or we would hope. You know what? Actually, with our luck, Kadri's probably going to sign like today. <laughs> Mid recording. <laughs> yeah. Mid recording in three weeks, it'll happen. Yeah. Well, there was a report here, but I don't know how seriously we should take it. Um, but they say that Kadri's uh, going to the Islanders um, mm. because he's like buddies with Lou Lamarillo or something. But I don't know. But this is from someone who's uh, who's not really. Uh, this is Mark Seidel, um, and he's just an independent scout for the NHL draft. So he's not like a legitimate source. Um, but I guess he is a scout, so so maybe I don't know how much how much credit we should actually take from him. But but yeah, you guys, in case in case Kadri does sign with the Islanders, uh, we'll, we'll we'll have more information the next time in two weeks. Um, <clears throat> all right, so that's about it for us here at Lace Em Up. Uh, you can follow us on Lace Up Podcast um, on Twitter. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also listen to us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast at Lace Them Up. Um, if you aren't already, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 331 of the Lace Them Up podcast.